Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. So, how has Noah Luskus used a growth mindset to become a nationally ranked collegiate spike ball athlete? Many high school athletes retire from competitive sport before entering college simply because they are forced to do so. However, my guest on episode 22, Noah Luskus chose to forego swimming competitively in college. Instead, Noah enrolled at his dream school, the University of Georgia, as a student. As a freshman, Noah found spikeball, which started as a hobby and turned into a competitive passion after much hard work and dedication. Noah discusses his choice not to swim competitively in college and how he has found purpose in pursuing a new athletic endeavor. His efforts have led to a flourishing spikeball club at UGA that has won multiple national championships. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Noah Luskus. Hey, Noah, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Uh, for those uh, who are listening here, can you just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Noah Luskus, and I am currently a professional spikeball player. Uh, I grew up not playing spikeball because it wasn't a thing that existed. Um, but I was actually a competitive swimmer for my whole life. I, I started competitive, competitively uh, swimming at the age of six and did it through the end of high school um, and then kind of transitioned into spike ball when I found the club team at UGA when I was a freshman there back in 2017. Yeah. For, and for those of you who may not know, UGA is the university of Georgia. Go oh yeah. Dogs. Sorry. Yeah, go dogs. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, um, I forget that people outside the South don't know what, what UGA always stands for. <laughs> I, I knew exactly what you meant. I just wanted to make sure everybody sort of knew what that was. Um, oh yeah, cause, absolutely. Cause us Northerners don't uh, always assume things about the South uh, correctly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, so interestingly enough, I was checking out your Twitter feed and I'm not here to play gotcha. I, but I saw that you recently retweeted an Andrew McCutcheon tweet and it said, that he posted that he would never give up on himself despite what other people might think or do. So I was just curious, like what resonated about that tweet with you? Uh, you know, though, I think I, I just kind of liked it because I think that's kind of like a mentality that I've always had. Like I, I've never been somebody who like really cares about what other people think as much as you can. I mean, I think there's a certain human nature to, to caring about what other people's opinions are. Um, but I've always been somebody who has loved when somebody else has told me I can't do something. I have always been somebody who, uh, I would love it if you told me you can't run through a brick wall and, and then I would, I would go after it and try to do it, um, to prove you wrong. And I saw that tweet and I think it was actually in the middle of a series there playing the Braves too, which made me mad cause they beat the Braves when he tweeted it. Um, <laughs> right. but, <laughs> but it definitely like resonated with the kind of mentality that I, I have always taken towards sports. So, okay. So with that in mind, so I would imagine that you probably got some of those kinds of comments or some of that feedback when people kind of started to learn about your interest and your kind of involvement in spike ball. Is that a fair, is that a fair uh, assumption? 
Yeah, it's definitely fair. And like on one token, you have like family and friends who like don't like really know what spike ball is or like know what spike ball is, like the product, but like don't know it's a competitive thing. And whether that was my girlfriend or, or my my parents or siblings or friends, and they're like, what is this? This is like so stupid. Like, why are you wasting your time? Like, why are you taking this so seriously? Like, you could be doing better things with your time. And, and honestly, even now, um, like four or five years later, where competitive spike ball is such a, a more well-known thing and where it's like a lot bigger than it was when I first started playing, like I still get the comments. And then like on the side of like people who like played round net, like, or play spike ball or, or round net. Those, those terms are kind of synonymous mm-hmm. in the community. We refer to it as round net. So if that's what I say, it's the same thing as spike ball. Um, you know, I, I just, I, there's always been haters. There's always been doubters. There's always people who, who tell you, you can't be something or, or tell you you're not good enough to do this or that. And, um, so I think that was really what kind of resonated with me with tweet is, is, is really like people saying like, Oh, you'll never be this good or you're bad or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I relate to that myself as well. So I, I liked it. I thought it was great. I was just curious as to what sort of was behind, what was behind it. Um, so you mentioned that you were a competitive swimmer. Could you just talk about what that sort of looked like when you started and sort of how you kind of came up, you know, through your youth and adolescent years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, swimming was probably like the only sport that I ever did when I was little that I was like really good at when I started. Like I played a lot of sports. Like I, I played soccer and basketball. Um, and baseball and, and baseball was probably the other one I took the most seriously outside of swimming. Um, but all those other ones, I was like, I was pretty bad when I started and like really kind of like gradually got better, like slowly over time. Um, but swimming, I was some, was something that I was just really, really good at right off the bat. Um, I started when I was like six and I just started doing my like neighborhood summer league swim team. Um, and the reason I wanted to do it, it was cause like the swim team got to go to the pool before like the pool opened to just the rest of the neighborhood. So I was like, ah, oh, my friends are going to be so jealous. I get to go to the pool like two weeks early. Um, and it was something I was really good at. Um, it was something I was like really good at probably like up until the age I was like 10, 11. Um, and then I, you just kind of hit, or I kind of hit a weird period of time. There were, um, you know, dudes are, are going through puberty or whatever. Um, and I wasn't, and I started putting on like a lot of weight. Like I got like, I got pretty big. Like I've never been like a, a, a big guy. Um, especially not as a kid, I was, I was really tiny. Um, I put on all this weight when I was like 11 and swimming got really, really hard. Um, and I was getting like, like not faster. Like I went for like a whole like year and a half where like, I didn't drop time in a single race. Um, and that's like the time when all these other people that are my age are like, they're like shooting up, they're like getting taller, they're getting way faster. Like they're getting big. Um, and I just wasn't, and that was like a super frustrating, like year, year, honestly, probably close to two years. Um, of just like going through that. And, and I almost quit. The only reason I really didn't quit is because my parents lied to me and said that they had signed me up for one more month. Um, and then I had to finish it out cause I had already paid for it, even though they were just trying to get me to stick with it. Um, cause it's something that I had done like for five or six years up until that point. Um, and then it was like, for there it was like, they did like two or three times like, Oh man, I already paid for this other month. Like you gotta stick it out. And, uh, eventually I just kind of got to the point where I did kind of break through and start dropping time again. And, I changed pools and coaches and then that was certainly part of it. And I kind of got back, like, I don't want to say on track because I, I don't think I ever got back to like comparatively where I was at, as good as I was when I was younger. Um, but certainly got to where I was respectable or, or could have done it at the division one level had I chose to do it. Interesting. So 
<laughs> when did your parents tell you that they 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 made that story up to keep you going? <laughs> um, gosh, I think like the first time I really talked about it was honestly probably recently. But I, I think I kind of realized what like what had happened when I was older. Like I, mean, I was like eleven. Um, and like by the time I was like really like probably like invested in swimming, I was like 16, 17 and like, like looking at and, and thinking about swimming in college, I was like, man, like they definitely didn't just pay for another month. I was like, they definitely were just pulling one, pulling a fast one on me. Um, but, but I'm glad I did it. You know, I wanted to quit and play other sports because I was going through a hard time and, mm-hmm. and I was a kid and, um, you know, I, I'm glad that they kind of had the foresight to, to be like, he's, he's really going to kick himself if he gives up on this just cause he's going through through a, a rough stretch and, and because of a lot of things that, that were not necessarily like in my control. Yeah. And it seems like it's, it's a, it was a great experience for you in the sense that you were able to persevere through a tough time, which it sounds like a lot of it was simply just biology, right? That, that is out of your control to a certain degree as you're going through puberty and you kind of stuck it out and then went on to swim for what another f- three, four, five years through high school. So that's pretty, pretty cool that you're able to stick it out. Um, so as you're going through high school, sort of what are you thinking about your swimming career, you know, as you're a high school swimmer, like sort of what would talk me through kind of what it was like as your ninth, 10th, 11th grade, what you're thinking about maybe, Oh, I'm going to, you know, think about competing at the next level in college. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, the goal for me always was to swim at UGA was, it was, or Georgia, (laughs) The, the, you know, uh, it was always a goal from when I was little. My parents both went to Georgia. My grandparents went to Georgia. Honestly, like my mom's entire side of the family went to Georgia. I, I grew up going to football games there. My family had season tickets. Um, grew up taking trips to Athens. We lived like 45 minutes away um, through middle school. So it was just always where I wanted to go. It was my dream school. Um, so it was always kind of a goal. And, and I, I mean, I busted my butt to do it. I worked really hard um, to get to that point. And I mean, I got to probably a certain point around junior year of high school when I don't want to say I realized it, but I kind of like was becoming more and more apparent that I wasn't quite fast enough. I was close enough to maybe kind of stretch a walk on. I mean, not quite fast enough, obviously. Um, but then it became a kind of a question from maybe middle of junior year about what I really want to do. Is it, do I want to go to, to Georgia? Cause it's a school that I've always wanted to go to or, or do I want to swim at like a smaller division one school? And, um, you know, I took recruiting trips and I talked to coaches when I was eligible to, through like NCAA guidelines starting like junior year, um, through like the first half of my senior year. And I mean, obviously I ultimately decided against it, but definitely, definitely probably the hardest thing that I've ever done to this point in my life was that like kind of stretch middle of first semester senior year when I was like really becoming a parent that, that I wasn't going to decide to continue swimming just cause it was swimming was something that, um, was such a big part of my life and, and such a big part of like what I identified as, um, it, it was a real mental struggle and it's something that it definitely didn't stop when I, when I made the decision to, to quit swimming. Um, but that's definitely, there's definitely a hard time for me for sure. So, so how long would you say that that sort of extended on right from that first part of your senior year obviously you're wrestling with the decision at some point that year you make the decision to move forward but it still sort of hangs around with you like how long did it take you to sort of like just accept or get past the fact that like it was going to just not be a part of your past and not part of of what you were doing right then or in the future uh 
I mean, I, I don't know like exactly probably when, but I mean, it, it took it took multiple years. Well, probably I would think the time when it really kind of like started being something that I could kind of fully accept was honestly probably like the beginning of second semester um, of my sophomore year of college. Um, and a lot of that had to do with spike ball and like what I was becoming with spike ball. Um, and like, but I don't know the, my freshman year, even though I was getting involved in, in spike ball and other things at school, um, it was really hard. And honestly, probably, probably that like stretch of whatever, whatever that is almost two years, um, was probably the hardest time in my life. I, I don't think mentally I was in like a super good place. And honestly, it's not something that I think I've ever really talked about with anybody, to be honest with you. I'm not really somebody who particularly enjoys like talking about my feelings. So it's something that I kind of bottled up um, to myself, but it, it, it was a low point for me because I think that so much of what I define my self-worth as was with success in the pool because it was the only thing that I had ever really done and worked hard at. I mean, obviously I, I mean, I did school stuff and, and I always did very well, um, academically, um, with, with like a fairly minimal amount of effort. And I say that not to like brag, it's just, um, I, I was always very academically gifted and I am super fortunate to have parents who, who place such a high emphasis on my academics from a young age. Um, so I was, and swimming gave me such great time management skills. I think that I was able to, to, to pretty easily handle, um, school and it wasn't something that I I think I ever felt like a great sense of pride in when I did well in but when I did well in swimming that's what I felt pride in and that's like I said it's what I associated um being being a successor or being a failure in um and I spent like like I said that that year and a half two years after deciding to quit feeling almost like a failure I want to say is how I think I perceived it at the time it's certainly not how I perceive it anymore um, but I, but I felt like a failure because of so much, like I had had this goal, like I said, from the time I was six to, to swim at Georgia or to swim at the next level and continue on. Um, and I, and I didn't, and I ultimately came up short and like I said, I, I don't frame that as a failure anymore because I think that's a poor way of looking at it. Um, but in that, in that short of time, it's what I did. And, um, I definitely struggled mentally because of it. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, I said, let me say, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think, listen, I, every athlete's competitive run comes to an end. And that's a big part of like what this podcast is about is understanding that, you know, our identities are so a lot of times are so wrapped up in athletics, right? And maybe some people go on to participate at the intercollegiate level and compete, but at some point that run is going to end. And I think those feelings that you just described are, I think, very common. And I've talked to other people on this podcast about that transition out of sport, whenever it is for them, being really, really hard. And I think it's just natural. Um, you know, and so I wanted to ask you about the good parts or the benefits maybe of not competing anymore. Like when you got to college, obviously you weren't associating as being a swimmer, but like, was there anything that was positive that came out of saying, oh, wow, I, you know, not swimming, I have this opportunity? Uh, yeah. I mean, initially I think the big thing was just like, I felt like I had so much free time. <laughs> I felt like I was like, man, I was like, I have time to have fun. Um, cause in like high school, it was never like, you know what I mean? Like whether it was like parties or, or whatever it was like, wasn't really something that I was, was involved in in high school because it was like Friday night, like, man, 
I have, I have practice at six o'clock in the morning tomorrow. Like I'm not going out and doing something. I'm going to bed. Um, so I think I was honestly, it's, it's kind of like a shell shock. Like, man, I, I've got so much free time that I can like do whatever I want and like, or, you know I mean? Have fun or like, just honestly be normal. Um, and then obviously like the opportunity to like, to kind of just expand out and do something new, like swimming was such a big part of my life, obviously. And it was like all that I did. Um, so like to be able to kind of extend out of my comfort zone was obviously uncomfortable. Um, but definitely something that was positive, you know, just try to find like, a, a, you know, a different thing to be a part of a different group of people to, to be involved with. Um, but honestly, maybe a lot of that's me looking back on it now with a different perspective. I think that I definitely probably weighed more negatives than positives. Um, initially, but like I said, the free time was, was definitely, I always loved it when I was having the free time and I wasn't mm-hmm. sitting there thinking about swimming. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you feel like your free time worked to your advantage? I guess, meaning like, were there instances where your free time maybe was a hindrance more than a help? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, anytime you start thinking about like, man, I should be swimming right now. It's kind of like, it, it's almost like a, like a depressing feeling. And I think for me, it was never like during the days that I really felt like that way, like overcome with like, whether you want to call it like a depression or a sadness or like a, like a sense of failure, because I was always doing something during the days. Like I, I started working out, like I started taking like weightlifting seriously. And like, I was involved in spike ball, like not nearly as seriously as I am now. Um, and like just, just doing whatever, like hang out. But for me, I think it was mostly like at nights. I think that's when I really struggled with it. It was like laying in bed and I was like, man, I was like, that's, I don't know. There's so much time to reflect. I think when you just lay down to go to bed at night and just about anything. Um, and I think that's always kind of when it hit me the hardest is like, man, like this sucks. Like I, like I said, I felt like a failure. I was like, and you just, just beat myself up about it and you're just laying there and then, then you don't sleep and then it becomes like a whole, this vicious cycle. So. Yeah. Well, I've been there too. (laughs) I've been there too. So I can, I can appreciate that. Um, so tell me about spike ball. So like, what was it like when you got into it? Sort of like paint the picture for me. Like when you found it, what, what did that look like? Gotcha. Yeah. So I found it the the way I found it was I just saw a flyer in the dining hall. It was like UGA like spike ball club, and I was like, man, this is cool. Like I played spike ball on the beach or like in gym class in high school. I was like, oh man, I'm I'm pretty good at this. Like I'll go out and just be a bunch of dudes like hanging out playing spike ball. Like I thought it was just gonna be a friend group. I was like. I was like, oh, we're just like hanging out playing spike ball. It's just like an excuse for us to like do whatever and make friends. And I show up and it's like this super competitive thing. And it like blew my mind um, how good these people were. And I showed up and I got humbled very quickly. I don't think I won a game. Uh, The first time I came out and played pickup with everybody, it was crazy to me. I was like, I suck. I was like, I'm good. Like I was always like one of like the better people in my friend group in high school when we were playing around. Like I didn't even know the rules when we showed up to play competitively. Um, so it was just, it was just a, it was just unbelievable to me what like how competitive it was and how seriously people took it. Um, and now I'm one of those people. So I guess it's kind of ironic looking back. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting because the first time we talked, you you sort of told me the same thing right like how humbling it was how difficult it was when you first started playing with the club and interestingly enough i went out on the beach a couple weekends ago with my son who's not just about 13 and he played with me and i was like oh my goodness he's like showing me the rules like you can hit it up to yourself you could do this you can't do this i was like oh my god this is hard (laughs) i'm like i have to practice a lot to beat him (laughs) it's kind of embarrassing so (laughs) 
I, I started to experience it on, on my own. But tell me about, I mean, clearly you're at a point now where you're playing professionally. You started out sort of at the, at the bottom, you know, bottom rung of the ladder. What was sort of your motivation to, to get better at it? Like, what, how, did, how did that work? How did you get, get, go through the process of learning how to play and get better? Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, I think I, I have to credit the people at Georgia um, and specifically the founder of our club team, Ben Landes um, at UGA, like does a great, did a great job with, with all of us when he was the president of the team and he actually is coaching now. Um, and he's such a big reason for the, the, the reason that I'm successful um, currently. But I think like what, what motivated me was that I was just really, really bad. Like when I first started playing, I was, like I said, I was bad. And I continued to be bad like for a couple of months. And honestly, I, I was going to quit. Like I just wasn't super enjoying the sport. Like, like I had fun, like hanging out or whatever, like with the people, like people were good. Um, but I wasn't getting super close with them. Like every, everybody that was my age kind of came in with a friend. Like they came in with their roommate or they came in with a friend from high school um, or they met somebody and they like joined together. So, and I didn't. So I was kind of always like, I felt like the odd man out initially, like on the team, like everybody had somebody they were close to. And I was just like there and they like hung out like and did social stuff. And I like didn't really go cause I didn't like super fit in. So I was going to quit, but I had already committed to playing in our college sectional, which was in Athens in like October of 2017. And I was like, well, I'm not going to bail on this guy that I'm supposed to play with. Like that would be like pretty messed up with me. Like I'm not going to do that to him. And I was like, man, we'll come out and I'll like, we'll do okay. Like we'll win a couple games, we'll win a couple series. Like, and then I'll like, I'll tell him I don't want to do it anymore. Um, but we came out and we didn't win a game the entire day. We didn't win a single game the entire day. Um, and I left and man, it was, it was just, it was just my pride. I was like, I, I can't be bad at this. And I think a lot of that was because I was in such a, a poor mental state about swimming. I was like, I can't be bad at something else. I was like, I can't quit something else and not be good at it. Um, and I just started busting my butt to get good at it. And, it certainly wasn't like an overnight fix. It wasn't like, man, I'm going to get good now, now that I've got beat. Um, it was a, it was a really long process. It was a really, really long grind. And, and anybody who is involved in the community or in the sport, um, that knows me could tell you that because I was really bad and I had a lot of bad performances and I had a lot of bad results, um, for years. Um, and it's just been a, a real slow grind to get better. And I honestly, I think back to that first tournament a lot. And I think back to, I think back to like swimming a lot when I, when I practice for this stuff, I mean, that is what motivates me to, to want to be really good at this. Yeah. Well, what, what that, what that kind of says to me is that you really are somebody that does have a growth mindset because it would have been really easy to say, I suck at this. Like, I'm just going to bail. Cause you had nothing invested in it. Right. When you yeah. started, like you could have just walked away and nobody would have been the wiser, but you challenged yourself to get better at something that you weren't good at. And I think that that's, you know, that's really important. You know, I think that's really important to, to, to kind of point that out because, you know, you go from the kind of, you know, I'm terrible at this. And, and rather than just sort of listening to that voice, you said, you know what, I'm terrible at this, but I'm going to get better. And you put the work in to get better. So what are some of the skills that go into being a good spike ball player? Yeah, I think the first thing, like the biggest thing that anybody that, that plays competitively can tell you is serving is such a big skill. Um, 
it's definitely like the dominant part of the game. I, I don't want to say it's the most important because I don't necessarily believe that uh, the majority of people would tell you that it's the most important skill. Um, but just grinding serves and, and being able to create pressure with your serves is so important because offense or like hitting, um, like receiving the serve and then receive set spike um, is very overpowered in the game currently. And it probably always will be in a game where you can hit a ball 360 degrees where there's only two people defending. Um, so the ability to create pressure on a serve to, to force a bad first touch or a bad serve receive, whatever you want to call it, um, is huge. Because if I can create a bad serve receiver, get an ace, like that's the easiest way for me to, to get a break. Um, as opposed to playing defense, like I said, 360 degrees with two people. Um, there's a lot of points where there's nothing you're going to be able to do. Um, so grinding that and then hitting, like I said, hitting is big. We talk about how easy offense is, but offense isn't easy unless you're a good hitter around the net. Like if you can't put the ball away, like they don't have, you know, a team doesn't have to have good serves to be able to get breaks on you because they can get you on defense. And then setting ball control, I kind of lump ball control into like setting and serve receive, like being able to control the ball. Like that to me is the most important skill. And I, I don't think maybe a lot of other people in the sport would agree, but if I can serve receive well and I can set well and, and I can just play clean with my partner, um, then, then it's really hard to lose. And, and when I taught people at UGA this, these past couple of years as a captain, I tell them, man, I think everybody thinks a lot about serving because it's like I said, it's, it's so flat. It's the flashy part of the game. It's like, oh, you got the super cool ace or the the highlight reel moment. But I was like, if you just don't get broken, if you just – and a break in spike ball would be when you're serving. It's not like tennis where you're not serving is a break. Breaks in spike ball are when you're serving. I'll go, I should preface that um, to make sense because a lot of people get confused by that. But if I just don't get broken in a game, I was like, man, any idiot can stumble into two breaks. Anybody can make their opponent get broken twice. Your opponent's probably going to mess up two times a game. So if you just don't get broken, that's all you need to win. You need two breaks, and then you win 21-19. So it's like if you guys just focus on being really clean and having good control of the ball, like you'll go so much farther than if you than if you focus on being this super crazy server or, a, mm. or a amazing hitter. Yeah, I mean, to me, having been exposed to it at a very, very, very novice level, it, it would seem to me that the hand-eye coordination piece of it is huge, right? The, the focus it takes to hit the ball on the right angle at a certain velocity to generate enough force to get the ball off is something that is probably not something we could do overnight, right? Like, you have to practice and get better at it. Um, do you have any sense of, like, how fast or like what the velocity is on some of the like the hardest hitters that you play against i'm just curious on serves man i want to say to be honest with you i am one of the hardest like hitters on serves in this sport i i wouldn't say the hardest i would definitely say like in the top five or ten um i would say it's probably coming off serve probably somewhere between 50 and 60 miles an hour would be the hardest and then like hits are probably Probably similar, maybe a little bit slower just because you're not necessarily generating as much torque with the rest of your body when you're hitting as when you're serving. Yeah, that's super fast, right? So like that's yeah. like takes a, a, a serious amount of hand-eye coordination and focus to return a serve that's coming at you that quickly on an angle that you're not sure how that thing's going to bounce off off the net. So yeah, it, absolutely. it's re really, really hard, right? So it's it sounds like it takes a long time to develop the skills, right? When you started from 
the freshman year, right? It, how long did it take you to get to a point where you felt like, okay, like I got the physical side of this game down, meaning like I've got all sort of the basic movements. I, I feel like it's automatic. It's not like me thinking about mechanics or something like that. Man, uh, I don't know because I still think like to some extent, like today, like I, I think about mechanics, like if I'm, and maybe that's cause I'm like, like a very, like, I don't want to say like very technical player, but I think I have a pretty good like mental understanding of the game. So like, I think I analyze what I do like in game a lot, like especially with serving. If I'm like missing serves, I'm like, okay, what am I doing? Is like, is it the toss? Okay. No, my toss is like good. It's where I want it. Is it the way that I'm following through my swing? Like, okay, I'm doing that. Like, okay, maybe it's my stance. Like how am I setting my feet? Like how is my weight distributed? Um, it's like, like basics. Like, I don't know. For me, it probably took longer than, than most people. Like I said, I've, ne- I've never been somebody who, who is super great. Like it's picking up a new thing right away. Uh, maybe to be like just borderline, like basic comfortable two years, maybe to be honest with you, where I was like, okay, like, and even then like serve received, like footwork was, was really, really sloppy. Um, I didn't have a lot of control of the ball. Like I couldn't set very well. Uh, I, I got to talk about, it. I think it's the most important skill. Like I feel like I've just kind of gotten to the point over the last maybe honestly like six months to a year where I'm like, okay, like, like I'm a good setter. Like I feel like I can control this ball no matter where I'm setting it from, or I can line up across from somebody serving at me and, and I can control what it's doing, or I have good footwork um, to be able to like put myself in a position to get the ball. So it, it's, it's ever developing. Um, and maybe that's just cause as you keep developing, you keep going up against better players. So maybe it feels like it's longer than it is. Cause like, Oh, uh, you master like, playing at one level and then like boop you get better and you're playing it's better people and then like you're like what do i do <laughs> because they're just they're so much better than what you're playing against before yeah and and that and that concept applies in all sports right like yeah we go from high school you know high school athletes go to college and they're the they're the stars of their team they're all state they're whatever and then they show up in college and they're just like everybody else right so then you have to continue to put the work in to elevate your game relative to your peers so that that, that's not surprising to me at all. I mean, I think I think what I was sort of building up to was the mental side of it, right? Because that's sort of mm. my area of, of interest, right? Because when I think about learning skills, you know, in, in scientific research, we learn skills in a very mechanical way early on because we don't know what we're doing. But at a certain point, it becomes much more automatic because our brain understands what it needs to do. And it's not as there's not as much internal thinking about the mechanics of it, right? You're always trying to get better, but your body just does certain things automatically, right? So then it becomes more mental, right? So talk to me about the mental side. And we talked a little bit about this, I think, when we first spoke. Like, tell me about the mental side of playing in a spike ball game where you're going, how many points is in a game? So you're playing to 21, um, win by two. So typical game's probably going to be, 35 to 40 points probably but i mean i've had games that have gone like that i've won or lost like in the 40s so you play like three games in one almost um but typically yeah, you're probably playing about 35 to 40 points um and me- mentally i think honestly it's pretty challenging and i'm super fortunate to have a background in swimming which is a weird thing to say because no physical skills translate over to be honest outside of maybe endurance like nothing physical translates over from swimming um like it's not like a tennis or a volleyball or something where where movements are similar um but but swimming is 
such a mentally dependent sport and you just have got to be so mentally sharp, um, from swimming. And that's something I think I've realized over the past couple of years is how much I've like really taken away from, from that and how much it helps me in, in everything I do in life, but, but specifically spike ball. Um, but spike ball can be so mental because there are just days when you go out and like, I mean, there's days when you go out and like, you have your A stuff. I mean, just like any sport, you've got your best stuff. Like you have your best pitch or like your shot is on or like your golf swing is there or like whatever, whatever it is. Um, and you just have days and you're on fire and like, everything's like automatic. Like you talk about, like, and you're just better than everybody. Cause you're having one of those days, but man, there, there are a lot of days when you go out there and I played, I played pickup today and it was, it was one of those days and it's like, man, nothing is working. Like I, I can't get a serve on the net. Like I feel like I'm, I'm not controlling the ball quite like I should. And, and it becomes a grind. And I think, I think mentally is kind of what m- makes or breaks players at like the very top level when you get in these tournaments um where you're playing super competitive games all weekend because the big tournaments are, are two days now so you're you're going saturday and sunday of playing all elite competition and if you, something's not working like you've got to figure out a way to make it click immediately or to be able to like to kind of make it towards not a big deal for you. And I think the best example I have of that is, is serving. Um, serving, like if you're not serving well, I think a lot of people let it affect the rest of their game. Because like I said, you serving is such, it's the flashy part, it's the part that everybody wants to be good at, it's the part that comes with all the glory or all the clout um, or whatever it is. And if you're not having a good serving day, I think it's really easy to to get sloppy with your service. Like, man, I didn't hit a serve and you get served too. And then you get aced by a serve you shouldn't get aced by because you didn't have your footwork or you didn't have your hands up or you just like weren't mentally locked in or the same thing with, with any other aspect you, you whiffed a hit or you had a bad set or you made a poor defensive rotation because you're sitting there and you're thinking about what went wrong before. Um, and the ability to like let that go is huge. I mean, there are games that I've played in where, where I've been beat by my own mental and there are games I've played where people, that I've played against have beat themselves. Like they didn't give themselves a chance and it can be more than just serving. It can be, you get aced by whatever you get aced like two or three times by good serves. And you're like, man, I, I suck. And then you just beat yourself to hell and, and you're never going to come back from that. Um, so the ability to, to mentally just be, be locked in and put one point behind you. Like I said, you play 35, 40 in, in a game and you play 15, 20 games a day. One point is nothing. So if you can just put it behind you, you'll, you'll do so much better. So you play, so the, the games are there can go to 30 to 40 points. So how long does a game take? Yeah. Got yeah. So you're playing like 21 to 21 points for one team. But like, if you're counting all the points, normally like normal scores are normally like 21, like I would say normally like 21, 15 to 19 is probably your like most common range. Obviously you have ones that go into extras and you play more points and you have ones that are blowouts. Um, so they games normally take like I'd say like twenty minutes um, a piece, but like I said, it just depends depends on the, the pace of play a lot. Some players like to, to play fast, some players like to play slow. Um, and I think that's actually a pretty big part of the game is being able to control pace, and a lot of that is mentally understanding at what tempo you play best at. Um, also, so like for me, like I'm somebody who very much likes to play um, like at a slow tempo. Like I, I prefer to be methodical. Like when I have the ball serving, like sometimes I'll just like kind of like take a step away for a minute. Um, and really just like take a deep breath and kind of like lock into like what I need to do to do good. But I've played with and against people who like, 
like to get the ball in their hand and they like, they want it out of their hand in like the next like three seconds. Like they just want to go so, so fast. Um, and maybe that's just because mentally they feel like there's like, they're like ready to go. Like, like they want to get it done, but they don't want to sit there and think about it. Um, and controlling the pace of the game is huge. I think, I think I've lost a lot of games because people play too fast and I've made other, I've won games because I slowed down people that want to play fast. Right. Well, it's like a pitcher in baseball, right? Controls the tempo, right? Some guys work really fast. Some guys work slow. It's whatever works for you, right? But you've got to be comfortable with that pacing. I mean, the thing I think about is focus, right? How do you maintain your focus through the course of a 30 or 40 point game where it's not like some sports where you're, you're on a team where there's, you know, five, eight, 10 guys, like it's you and your partner and like you're in every point, right? So you have to constantly maintain focus and not lose that attention, not lose your attention to what's going on in the moment. And I, I would think that that's really, really hard to do, especially when you're not playing well. Yeah, for sure. Especially uh, when you're not playing well and it just feels like, cause it's so easy. Like I know that's like games are like long and they, they take long, but like, man, if you're not playing well, points go by like that. They just, they just pop off and you can find yourself losing three, four five points in a row. Like it's nothing. You'd be like, man, where did that go? Um, yeah, it, it's definitely a big uh, part of the game. Yeah. I talk to athletes about, the, about that all the time, regardless of sport, right? If your head's, if your head's up your butt, you know, for even two, three, five minutes, right? Like the world passes you by and next thing you know, right? You've just gotten, you know, spun around like a top and then you realize like what happened, right? So like keeping present moment focus is really, is really, really important in all sports. Um, just, I have one more question just in general, right? So you, you mentioned, you mentioned sort of the, the de- what a day might look like, right? Pay 15 games in a day. Like talk about, Two, two parts. One, can you talk about the physical demands of it endurance wise in terms of conditioning? And two, can you talk about like, just sort of like how much time you would put in to practicing and conditioning for spike ball in, in a week, just like in a normal week? Yeah, absolutely. Um, starting with tournaments, they are, they're so physically demanding and the big tour series, which is like the big circuit. Um, which you people would call like the season um, is over the summer. So first of all, it's so hot. It's so hot. Um, and also those tournaments are two days now. So the way that it works is you'll have for the highest division, you'll have pool play on Saturday. And the way pool play works is they try to make it to where there's four teams in each pool. Obviously it depends on the number of teams that, that come out. If it's divisible by four, that's like their ideal scenario. And you'll play a series. So best, a best two out of three series against every other team in your pool um so that could be like nine games just there and then you'll play after pool play they seed the bracket so the the top two teams in each pool of four will go to the pro bracket and the bottom two teams will go to the premier bracket um and then you'll play bracket play after that until they get to the semis and then on sunday you'll do the semifinals and the finals um so saturdays can be like really long like you could like i said you can play like close to 15 games, or if you have like a smaller independent tournament where you're doing all pool play and all a bracket play in a day, like you could, I mean, you could be playing north of 20 games like easily if you go to three a lot. So, um, I mean, they are long days and I found playing on Sundays. I am sore. I'm sore through my lower back. I'm sore through my hips, um, sore through the legs. And maybe part of that is because I work out the days before the tournaments. <laughs> so, and like shoulders and, and backs and, and whatever it is, um, it's definitely like 
more physically demanding than people would think. Like I say, like I said earlier, like I think a lot of people think like, ah, oh, this is just a joke. This is just like, well, this is just like a fun beach game. Um, but you go out there and play from nine to five or whatever it is, or even if it's just nine to three, like you're playing six, eight hours um, in a row and you're out in the sun and it's hot. Um, it's, it's physically demanding. And then in terms of what I do to condition, uh, I mean, I put in, I put in a lot of hours. I probably put in an hour, hour and a half in the gym, six times a week. So that's, I, I would say probably on a week, I probably average about eight hours in the gym maybe. And then I normally play pickup or pickup for, I'd say three or four times a week for about two hours. So that's another eight hours. Um, and then I do hitting and serving practice when I can find space. It's a little bit tougher now that I'm in an apartment instead of my parents' basement. <laughs> I have a little less space. <laughs> um, but that, I mean, when I was at home before I moved into my apartment a couple weeks ago, I was after pickup, I would come back and I would hit, I would hit spikes and work on spikes for a half hour. And then I would serve for another hour, like three times a week. So, I mean, I probably put in close to 20 hours a week in terms of just overall, like physical conditioning, which I, I count as going like towards spike ball. Like that's what's driving a lot of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in, in essence, right. Like, just be, just because it's it's a club sport and not an intercollegiate sport, you're still a student athlete, right? You're still putting in an immense amount of time every week working on your game, working on the things that you have to do to get better. So with that in mind, like as a student athlete, like what were the biggest challenges for you? Like once you really got into the spike ball and you were putting in this time, like what would you say were the biggest challenges for you as a student athlete? Gotcha. Uh, the biggest challenges probably for me is the fact that we had to like run our, our team and like administratively, like we were the ones taking care of that because it was like an official club sport at, at Georgia. So we had like meetings and we have like stuff that we have to do for our club sports department. Um, and the, and those guys, they were great, but they're also strict and there's a lot of stuff we have to do. And there's a lot of very specific processes that, that we go through with them. Um, and then going to that and, you know, we're not also, we go to like practices, which we had twice a week or we go to like pickups, which we host on our non-practice days. Um, you know, there's, there's a big balance between like how much time are we putting in towards ourselves, like as like top level players in this club and how are we getting better so that we're making the club better through our own performance, but also how much time are we putting into to new people that are coming in or, or people that have been here that maybe are, are a lower tier. Um, you know, when you don't have a lot of time, when you get three or four, hours of official club practice a week, like how much time it is going to yourself and how much time it is going to everybody else. And, and how do we balance that to, to what's best for our goals as a team competing for national championship? Um, and then just like making those decisions. I mean, we're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. I mean, we're trying to like make these decisions. It's, it's not like, uh, like you said, an intercollegiate sport where you have, you have a coach and you have an athletic department. And, and then also when you, when you have those things, you have, you have trainers and you have, you have medics and you have people that are, they're constantly making sure you're feeling good and performing your best. And, and when it's a club sport, um, you know, those things are all on me. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't get to, to go do lifts with, with a weightlifting coach. And I don't, we don't have nutritionists that are telling us how to eat for, for peak performance. I mean, those are things that, that we're not only having to, to come up with on our own, but also things that you have to execute on your own. And it's a lot harder when you, don't have a, you know, a coach or somebody in your ear being like, Hey, you're not going to do good if you do this. Um, and you know, trying to be that presence for yourself, but also for the rest of the team and 
passing on the information, like how important that stuff is to, to younger people or newer people who may not necessarily like think that like spike balls, the thing they need to take that seriously. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it sounds like you put in an, in an awful amount of, of effort, right? Motivation. And there's nobody telling you what to do. So not only are you practicing and working on your own game and putting in the time you discussed, you've got your classes, right? Your academics, but you're also effectively, you're, 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 you have a job, right? An administrative job that goes on top of it, running the club, making choices, which I imagine was really hard and challenging at times, but I'm, I'm guessing it was also probably really valuable, right? In terms of learning lessons about how to run a, you know, a business, right? It's, it's not a business in the traditional sense, but you've got a budget and you've got choices to make and you've got to deal with administration, I'm sure. So with that in mind, like what was the most rewarding part of being a student athlete, particularly a non-traditional one who wasn't kind of running through an intercollegiate, you know, setting? Yeah. I I think the most rewarding part is probably just seeing like us grow as a team and then seeing, like I said, newer people grow. And then, you know, I mean, seeing personal growth is great for me um, as an individual. And obviously I love that. Um, but, but seeing our team grow twice to the, to the point where, where we were able to win a national championship in 2019. And then, and again, this past year in 2021 um, to be able to grow from, from where we started and to be able to kind of have an outside perspective on both of those years has been like, man, if you look back in August, like we were not this good. And like April, May rolls around and you're like, man, what we have like done and what we have accomplished together and getting an entire group of 30 college age kids um, to kind of buy into what we're doing and see the process and, and trust in us um, to lead them to a point that that at the beginning of the year may not even be something they care about if they're new. Like, oh, like people come in, they don't think about like winning a national championship. They think like this can be a fun thing for them to make friends. Um, and, and to see that growth, it super rewarding, especially this past year. Um, cause I was a president of the club and I was a captain. Um, and obviously just a, a really challenging year, um, dealing with COVID and, and all kinds of things. And it was, I mean, it was wild on, on all fronts. It was crazy for everybody. Um, you know, there's always something going wrong this whole year. Um, and, and being able to pull together as a team in, in April when restrictions started happening and, and be able to win a national championship for, for the school that I always loved. Um, super rewarding. Um, a super proud moment for me, for sure. Congratulations. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and, and I probably could or should have mentioned this at the outset, but the way that I got connected to Noah was that I saw him on ESPN playing in, in, uh, in a, a major tournament on, I think it was a collegiate, right? It was like the collegiate, the collegiate tournament. And I reached out to him and I just thought that was so cool. I mean, it's not only a testament to what you guys did, but just a testament to anybody who's involved in that sport to take it from something that's kind of just a regular old beach game to something that's on TV and that has stakes and, and is really, really cool to see something like that grow and flourish in our country. So, um, there's a lot of, a lot of credit due there. Um, just a few more questions. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, and I know based upon what you were saying when we you know, started talking earlier about sort of just reflecting on your swimming career, I know that was a little bit challenging for you, but have you ever thought about how your college life would have been different if you would have decided to swim versus not or deciding to play spike ball? Have you ever like sort of like thought about that looking back? 
Uh, yeah, I definitely do. I mean, when I see friends of mine that do swim in college or friends I swim with in high school, um, honestly, I say, I, I talked about how upset I am now. I'm like, man, I could never get back in the pool and put in the work. I was like, man, what we did, was so hard. <laughs> the work that we put in, in high school for swimming was so, so hard. And, and I kind of joke that I'm grateful that I quit. Obviously, um, I, I miss swimming tremendously. I miss, um, the, the relationships that it gave me. I miss the sport itself. Um, but I don't know, man, I, I don't know the last time I seriously sat down and thought about it. It would definitely be different. Uh, I definitely would have a lot less free time. My, uh, my life probably would have been a lot more structured. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that I made the right decision. I know I, I talked about, well, I don't think I know that I made the right decision. I know I talked about earlier feeling like, um, like a failure for, for multiple years. And that's totally true. I definitely did. Um, I think I, when I got to the point where I started enjoying spike ball more and I got better at spike ball and I realized, um, that it was kind of like where I felt like I was meant to be. Uh, I think I also kind of got to a point where honestly recently where I really could reframe what I, what I thought was a failure. And, um, you know, I, I think that I look back on it and obviously like the result was disappointing and it's, it's not what I like wanted and it's not what I like set out to achieve. It's, um, and it was disappointing, but it, it certainly wasn't a failure because of all that I that I got to take away from it, um, and how much it, it's made me grow, and, and how much of a better person, and how much of a better athlete it makes me now doing doing something new. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's great that you were able to reframe that on your own. I mean, you know, I think it takes a lot of people to have that sort of outside perspective. And I do this a lot with athletes is helping them think about things in a different way, right? You know, a lot of times we will look at ourselves as a failure or we'll really be hard on ourselves because we weren't able to do something that we thought we should do. Um, and it takes a lot for that athlete to be able to look at it differently and say, Hey, you know what? Like it just didn't work out the way that I expected it to, but look at all the things I've accomplished you know, otherwise. And it sounds like you've kind of gotten to that point and made peace with it. Now you're really invested in something new that you've gotten really good at. So what are your, what are your plans for, for spike ball going forward into, into the future? Gotcha. Well, like short-term plans, uh, competing in, in the 2021 SRA, which is spike ball round net association, um, in their tour series that started the 10, what they call tour stops. Um, and three of them have happened. Um, I played in two of them and I've actually podiumed in the pro division at both of them. I got third in two of the first three, which is super cool um, to be able to be on a podium at the highest division. But I actually just uh, teamed up with a, with a good buddy of mine from, from Texas, Grant Laughlin. Um, and we're going to play the rest of the season together as a team uh, as outside smoke will be our team name. And uh, we're going to team up and try to make the pro division at nationals. And we actually will play in our first tour stop together uh, next weekend in or July 10th in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And we'll play a couple more throughout the couple more tour stops throughout the country for the rest of the summer. Uh, and then like I said, hopefully be competing in the pro division nationals in October. That's awesome. That's really cool. I wish you guys, I wish you guys the best of luck. Uh, last question. Um, if there's one thing or one piece of advice that you could give specifically to, any high school athletes out there, um, what would it be? Right. And it could be anything, but maybe looking at, looking at it through the lens of making that choice, right. Of whether to move forward and participate in sport in college, like what piece of advice would you give to, to somebody who's in high school now? Gotcha. Uh, the, the biggest piece of advice that I would definitely give, 
um, to anybody and it definitely pertains athletes, but it really could pertain to anybody about anything it is to not beat yourself up. You know, when things don't go your way, I have always been somebody who has treated myself. At, I've always been my worst critic. I've always treated myself super harshly. I've always beat myself up about bad performances. Um, and not only beat myself up, just absolutely just beat myself on the ground and, and don't even let me breathe or, or live it down. Um, recently, I know we talked about this when we talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago. Um, I kind of made it like a new year's resolution for me to, to not necessarily stop being my biggest critic, because I think that that's important, but reframing the way I critique myself and, and also becoming my biggest supporter in the same token, um, of being able to acknowledge like, Hey, like, yeah, you made a mistake. Like, you know, you shouldn't have done that, but also being your biggest supporter and being like, man, it, it's one mistake in whatever sport it is. There's so many reps that you go through in a game or practice and like, you're going to make mistakes and just trusting in yourself that trusting in, in your game and the skill set that you've developed in, in your sport. Um, and, and, and realize that, that you are good and you, and you, you can do what you're setting out to do as long as you put yourself in the right mental space. Um, and you bring, you lift yourself up instead of pushing yourself down because if you beat yourself in the ground, you, you don't even give yourself a fighting chance. Uh, if I, if I had been as, I think positive as I am with myself today, back in high school, my, my life would be different. And obviously like I said earlier, I'm, I'm glad that my life isn't different. I think I'm doing exactly, um, what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but, but being, having that positive attitude and just like letting yourself live down the mistakes, um, is huge. And, and it just puts you in a better mindset to be able to, to think about things and whether that's thinking about whether you want to go on to, to play a sport in college or whether, whether you want to quit, um, if you just treat yourself like you would treat somebody else who made a mistake, um, you're, you're going to be able to make a, a much easier decision and a decision that you're so much more satisfied with. Like I said, I, I made my decision to quit swimming and it ate at me. It ate at me for years. I mean, it ate at me for years and it drove me into the hardest time of my life. Um, if I was able to like look back and be like, man, no, you worked so hard at swimming and just because you came up short of what – this initial goal that this lofty goal that you had set when you were six years old doesn't mean you're a failure. Um, then, then I, I would never would have gone through a phase like that in college where, where I was disappointed with myself or upset with myself or had this kind of messed up notion of what success and failure was. That's, I couldn't, I mean, that's a great way to end and that's great advice for anybody out there who's listening. So Noah, I, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. It was great to talk to you. <laughs> I learned a lot today about you and spike ball and all the things that you're doing. So, um, this was great. I really appreciate it. And let's, uh, let's stay in touch and hopefully you can come back on in the future. No, absolutely. I really appreciate, uh, you having me on. I, I love getting to talk about this stuff. Um, love getting to talk about spike ball and chance I can get in. And obviously I think the, the mental side of sports is something that is so interesting to me and, and so important. And, uh, I'm super glad you reached out and we'll absolutely stay in touch. And, uh, anytime you want to have me back on, I'll, always be be down to do that thanks noah take care yeah thanks you too so what was your biggest takeaway from my conversation with noah luskus for me it is that there are new opportunities available to competitive athletes that retire from their primary sport whether by choice or chance any athlete that chooses 
to see opportunity in a major transition can mitigate some of the sadness and anxiety associated with retiring from their primary sport. My suggestion to young athletes is to know that there are ways to remain competitive in college beyond traditional intercollegiate athletics. Trying a new sport or skill in college can create an athletic opportunity that you may have never imagined. I want to thank Noah for his kind generosity and the wisdom he shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Noah on Instagram at yuckskus, Y-U-C-K-S-K-U-S. You can learn more about the Freshman Foundation on our website at freshmanfoundation.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back for episode 23. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor dedicated to serving athletes just like you reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe. Give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks ready to get better.